make sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. I'll see you soon. <laughs>
When they grew impatient, they started hitting the door harder. The one in the witch mask picked up the biggest jack-o'-lantern from the Willington's porch and hefted it right at their front door. Grandpa, why's Mr. Willington got a shotgun? The old man stood, trembling. The gun barrel jumped around so much, I doubt he could have hit the porch imps if he tried. It's part of his costume. So, Mr. Wellington gets to trick-or-treat, too? When you're his age, you can, too. You want to know why you can't trick-or-treat? Mm-hmm. Finish your cider, and I'll tell you. Quick, before your lips turn blue. <laughs> All right, then. I guess it was about 20 years ago, give or take. Back when your mommy was about your age. Back then, all the kids trick-or-treated every Halloween. My eyes lit up like I just found out magic was real. Really? Really? Your mom was uh, a witch that year. Pointy hat, long black robe, green face, paint, fake wart. The works. Anyways, Halloween was cut a bit short that night on account of the Wilmington son disappearing. I didn't know the Wellingtons have a son. They don't anymore. He was a bit younger than your mother. Police went all over town telling people to keep their kids inside while they searched for the boy. Is this a scary story, Grandpa? I remember my legs dangling under the red Muskoka chair on the porch. I was always completely enthralled by my grandfather's stories. It's a true story. And I suppose all true stories are a bit scary. Now your mom was inside with me and your grandma watching a movie. That's when someone started pounding at the Jackson store across the street. The three of us went out onto this very porch to see what the heck was going on. First we thought maybe it was the police, but that didn't make sense seeing as they'd already come around telling everyone trick-or-treating was cancelled. We thought maybe they'd found the boy. But he wasn't alive no more. But why would they be at the Jacksons? Well, once we got out on the porch, it turned out to be three kids in black robes and cheap plastic masks banging on the door for candy. I heard old Tim Jackson yell from inside his house, No more candy! Go home! And then he shut off his outside lights, leaving those ghouls in the flickering orange jack-o'-lantern light. The kids paused for a minute. Then they started knocking again. Jackson started threatening them that he was going to call the cops. The trick-or-treaters did stop at this point, but they didn't leave. Instead, they pulled rotten eggs and toilet paper out of their robes and started covering the house with egg and paper. When they were finished, the house looked like a wet, sticky mummy. (laughs) 
You know what rotten eggs smell like? Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't like that. Instead, it smelled like gasoline. And sure enough, when the witch-masked ghoul threw the jack-o'-lantern at the house, the gas-soaked toilet paper went up in flames in about two seconds. The Jacksons, Tim, Jenny, and the little girl, Morgan, ran into the street. I yelled at your grandma to call 911. I told your mom to go inside, and I went over to the family to see if they were okay. Half the neighborhood was out on the street to see what was happening when... Grandpa, I'm feeling kind of weird. <laughs> You're just cold and sleepy is all. We don't usually let you stay up this late. Just drink up the rest of your side. It'll help. The cup was trembling as I brought it to my lips. And I drank, like Grandpa told me. So me and some of the other neighbors were just about at the Jackson's porch. When the witch, the skeleton, and the pumpkin grabbed little Morgan Jackson... Didn't take long to figure out what happened to the Wilmington boy. <clears throat> those ghouls. Those ghouls tore that little girl apart. It was so fast by the time any of us knew what was happening. They were eating little Morgan's intestines like, like sausages. My grandfather shivered in his seat. Grandpa, I don't like this story. <sighs> Neither do I. I tried to kick one of them in the head, and, well... <sighs> Grandpa lifted his pant leg and tapped on his wooden leg. <coughs> but Grandpa, lots of kids at school will have wood or plastic body parts. Especially the older kids. Miss Anderson says that doesn't make them any less special. Jackson managed to get a shot off with his shotgun from a... Oh, I'd say about five feet away. The witch's mask. You know what disintegrated means? Well, it disintegrated. And what was under that mask was this... Horrible, evil little face. Completely untouched by the gun blast. It, it was... What, Grandpa? What was it? I should have known something was very wrong when I didn't even notice the cup leave my hands. Didn't even feel the cider soak into my lap. They were so tiny. I think that's why people kept trying to fight them. Even after the trick-or-treaters had taken my lower leg in front of the whole neighborhood. But eventually, when every able-bodied person had been beat, amputated, or dead, the ghouls returned to their feast of little Morgan Jackson. They didn't want to attack us. They never ate my torn-up leg. We were just standing in their way. Why didn't you just... Call the police. Huh. Oh, we did. 
You see that weather vane up there on top of the Wilmington house? Yeah. Constable Grady's head was mounted right up there. Sat up there a while. Like a reminder to us all. So, what did you do? How did you stop them? I slumped down in the big red chair, ready to fall asleep at any second, even with such a macabre and fantastical story being told to me. <sighs> we knew we couldn't stop them. So we tried to appease them. You know what that word means? Appease? Like making someone happy? Right. Make someone happy so that they leave you alone. We knew they liked children. Particularly the 8 to 11 year olds. So us parents got together and agreed to sacrifice one child every Halloween. We used a lottery system, where the parents of the previous year's sacrifice picked a name from a hat. That family's child would be the sacrifice to the trick-or-treaters, and so on. It worked for a couple years, but then people started moving away, started not having kids. And the parents of the sacrificed, they tended not to live too long after their babies were taken. Grandpa, did they kill themselves? They did. <gasps> it's called suicide. We learned about that in school. Mm. So, what do you do after that? There's still people here, so you must have fixed the problem, right? Oh, we tried a few different things. Ain't too proud of any of them, though. Like what? <clears throat> well, we thought maybe if we brought some tourism to town, we could find some people that wouldn't be missed as much as our kids. That worked a couple years. The Lethbridges. I think you go to school with their granddaughter. Lisa? Sure. So the Lethbridges opened up a bed and breakfast. And I guess that's how we lured folks in. We'd get a family who we thought might not be too missed, or one that hadn't told their family where they was going. Then we'd trap them and leave them out for the trick-or-treaters. They didn't have much use for the parents, but as soon as the parents stepped in to protect their kids, those little creatures would tear them to shreds. Made it easier on us since we didn't need to figure out how to get rid of the parents, too. Had a couple good years of that till someone important's niece or daughter or something went missing. The town was crawling with vets. Put a stop to that right quick. Tried finding drifters, too. We, mostly some of the men, would go on little road trips out of the area to make it less suspicious. We'd pull over when we saw a hitchhiker in a more rural area. Only if they were alone. We take them back here, feed them, clothe them, give them a drink. But they were always too old for the trick-or-treaters. Even runaway teens were pushing it. Grandpa? Yeah? I'm not feeling so good. I know, baby. 
but the night's almost over. Grandpa? Yeah? Looks like they're done at the Jacksons. Those are the same trick-or-treaters, right? From your story? Smart girl. One's a skeleton, one's a pumpkin, and one's a witch. Yep. The witch got a new mask. Or grew a new one. If if people kept moving away when you tried sacrificing kids, what did you do instead? Grandpa pulled the flask out of his pocket that he'd been drinking off since finishing his cider. He uncapped it and took a big drink. I knew what was happening, what was about to happen, and no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't stand up and run away. Grandpa, I can't feel my legs. I know. When he told me that, he couldn't even look me in the eyes. <laughs> Grandpa! Grandpa! I watched them stand in front of me and hold open their blood-soaked sacks, already heavy with the flesh of neighborhood kids. Grandpa nodded to the little demons, and he got up and went into the house. The skeleton, the pumpkin, and the witch removed their black hoods and cheap plastic masks. The witch had two tiny horns, like a small goat, on its forehead. The skeleton had a pair of short, sharp tusks jutting out from its jaw. The pumpkin's real head was shaped like a squished pumpkin. Instead of a stem, there was a single horn on the crown of its skull. They had the same red, hard skin covered in deep lines and warts. Their yellow eyes gleamed with hunger. They bowed down to my feet. I tried to look at what they were doing to me, but I'd lost all control of my body. I heard Grandpa. He hadn't left me. He'd been standing behind me. We figured out they do get full eventually. So we decided that if every ten-year-old gave just a little, it was better than sacrificing a whole child every year. It was tough getting them the perfect amount. If we tried to give them too little, they'd ignore the deal entirely and consume all the children. We call those the lost years. But we figured it out. And it's been working for a good long while. Of course, there's been unintended casualties. Your mother couldn't handle raising a child in this town, knowing what would have to happen. So she left us. But we're still here, and we're still going. We thought about leaving, we did. But this town is our home. I grew up here. Your grandma grew up here, and no little monsters were going to chase us away. Besides, there's no guarantee those little things wouldn't follow us to the next town and the next and the... Grandpa, please. 
Thanks to your grandma's cider, you won't feel a thing. I love you, Sarah. I remember the first day back to school after Halloween. Our entire fifth grade class got the first two weeks of November off. I limped into class using my new crutches. I was still getting used to them, them and the fake leg, but I was getting used to it. Grandpa, once he could look me in the eye again, joked that we had matching legs now. Miss Anderson was taking attendance. She called Mickey Caldwell, who raised his new prosthetic arm. Then Jamie, who had stitches where her nose used to be. My best friend, Michelle, had two fake hands, which took her years to get used to. Us kids stayed quiet a while. Trauma does that to a kid. But eventually, we started asking questions. Questions about the monsters. That's what they were, are, who stole more than our limbs. Our teachers and parents got sick of the questions after some time and told us what they knew which wasn't much more than what was told to me that Halloween night. Some of the old-timers thought they were pagan gods, ascending because Christianity had fallen out of favor, which apparently let them wander the earth more easily. I remember my grandpa scoffing at that idea. Another theory was that they were some kind of ancient creatures unleashed on our town through the small mining operation on the south end. This theory seemed to be favored by the environmentalist older folks, especially the ex-hippie types, my grandma among them. Old Earl Carney, he was steadfast that they were aliens, an ancient race, he called them, said they'd been to Earth probably a dozen or more times, and that the last time they came, they must have made some sort of deal with the people living here, likely the indigenous of the area, for safety, with the promise of children's flesh in the future. Earl's also a raging white supremacist, so I never put too much stock in his ideas. My favorite theory, or theories, depending on who you ask, have to do with witches. Like mother, like daughter, Grandpa used to tease me. One story goes that in the pioneering days, a group of women started a witch's coven. When their husbands would go off into the bush for logging for weeks at a time, they'd be at home working on spells, making herb packs, benign things like that. But one of these women, some say accidentally, others say purposefully, made an honest-to-God pact with Satan himself. And before long, when the men would go off to logging camps, the women would be sacrificing little animals or dancing naked in the moonlight, or eventually sacrificing their own babies. After a terrible accident at the logging camp, the men came home early with their dead friend, and instead of delivering news to an ignorant widow, they stumbled upon the women dancing around a fire, covered in kid blood. Instead of consoling the women folk, the men tied them to stakes and set them on fire, and the last words a witch uttered were, I curse thee and thee who settle upon this land. Another tale of witchery here is a bit more modern. 
Around the time of the sexual revolution, around the time my mother was a child, there was a commune on the outskirts of town. Some of the locals who were living here at the time say they were some kind of dark magic death cult, who, like their historical sisters, sacrificed people to pagan gods. Apparently, something went wrong during one of their sacrifices, depending who you ask. It was either angered townspeople or government agents, and this upset the pagan gods the cult prayed to. Naturally, these old deities took out their frustration on our town in perpetuity. I've done as much research as I could on the cult. It really seems to have been more of a free-love commune that ran out of steam when they learned farming was a lot harder than they thought it'd be. But the cult story's definitely more fun. Every name Miss Anderson called that first day back to school after Halloween, she cried a little more. We didn't quite understand at the time. She knew it was going to happen after all. She'd gone through Halloween in our little town for years at that point. Before I graduated high school, Miss Anderson hung herself from the flagpole in the town center the day before Halloween. There were some murmurings that it was foul play. In her later years, she'd been talking a lot about Halloween and change. I'm picturing her now, as I sit on my front porch with my son. His little hand is sitting on my plastic leg, and in his other hand, he's holding a full cup of my homemade cider. He turned 10 in July, and today is Halloween. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2021, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Treats was written by Ian A. Bain, a writer of dark fiction living in Muskoka, Ontario. Ian enjoys horror, coffee, and long walks through the swamp with his wife and undead dog. Ian's stories have been previously published by Sanitarium Magazine, Madness Heart Press, Deadlights Press, Hellbound Books, and many others. Ian can be stalked on Twitter at BainWrites. You can also check out his blog where he reviews horror media, ianabain.wordpress.com. The narrator and Sarah were performed by Erica Ventura. Erica is a mother, narrator, visual artist, and an animal husbandry technician. You can check out some of her artwork on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash E-F-V-E-N-T-U. Or you can visit her artist page at facebook.com forward slash bioartsy. That's B-I-O-A-R-T-S-Y. Grandpa was performed by Alvin Bolling II. He is a mixed race American actor, singer, rapper, social justice advocate, Virginia native, voice actor, voiceover artist, and is the creator and host of the Ghost Light Theatre podcast. Head to alvinthesecond.com for more details on his projects. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. 
Tonight's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. For more from Duncan, connect with him on twitter.com forward slash Duncan Muggleton. To support The Night's End, I'd very much appreciate if you could leave a review and a five-star rating on your podcasting app. We have Night's End merch available at nightsendpodcast.com, or if you're looking for more, please check out season one and two. We also have 10 exclusive episodes available through our Patreon page or through our Apple Podcast subscription, Dissonance Extra. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another tale tomorrow. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.